Welcome to a special edition of the Macworld Podcast, recorded at our Macworld Live stage at San Francisco's Macworld iWorld Show. As part of these podcasts, you'll hear interviews with some of the best and brightest in the Apple industry. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, once again, we're back at the Macworld Live stage. I'm Chris Breen, and with me is Jeff Smith from Smule, uh, owner, operator, CEO, all around know-it-all of the company. Um, how many of you are familiar with Smule's work? A couple of you. Well, I'm, I'll let Jeff tell you what they do. Hi, Chris. It's great to be here. See you folks at Macworld. Smule is a leader in developing mobile applications to allow people to create music together. We've built two things. We've built a family of mobile applications that allow you to create music. And we've built a network that allows you to create music with other people. And in fact, maybe the simplest thing would be to give you a quick demo of one of our products. Yeah? Sure. So right when the App Store launched on the second generation, or I guess first generation iPhones, we launched our company. So this is back in the summer of 2008. One of the first products we launched on the iPhone was the Ocarina. The Ocarina turns your phone into a magical flute-like instrument. And what we did was we would literally analyze the friction that you could make against the microphone by blowing air, and from that have a first-order approximation of how much wind you are creating, so you could literally control a flute by blowing air against the microphone on your phone. To the extent that you could even articulate notes and pitches with techniques that flautists would, tonguing. So I'm going to launch Ocarina. So this application's five and a half years old. <laughs> and I'm going to try to play you a little song. Let's see if it works. Can you see my screen? Yeah? It's a little hard because the microphone here is uh, weighting it down, but... What's amazing, by the way, that wasn't can, that was real, is that after you play, you can go check out the world, and you can hear what other people around the world are performing off of their iPhones as well. Here we're listening to a version of Amazing Grace from, it appears, Bentonville, Arkansas. We can even zoom in on that globe and hear that performance and send them a little love their way. So that's one of the products Smule builds that's been extremely popular on Apple's mobile devices. Oop, there's a mistake. <laughs> let, me, let me show you two more quick demos. So here's the Magic Piano. Believe it or not, the Magic Piano now has 60 million installs. It's made Apple's iPhone, iPad, Hall of Fame, more or less four consecutive years, is one of the most popular applications on the phone. Now, turns out I'm a pianist in real life. I own a couple of pianos, including a 6'11 Steinway and a 7'4 Busendorfer from uh, Austria. They're better than this. So if you want to play the piano, go buy a piano. But sometimes when you're taking that train ride home, it's hard to bring your Steinway with you. And that's one of the reasons why we built this product on your mobile phone, so you could play music 
anywhere. But the other thing we did was we made it a little bit more accessible to you, recognizing that not all of you, maybe some of you, but not all, have a degree from Juilliard. By the way, how many have the degree from Juilliard? Raise your right hand. Okay, great. So this product's for this audience. Um, but yet, it's not just a simple game. In fact, at Smule, we believe everyone's creative. We do. We believe that. And we want you to be expressive on these mobile devices. We don't want you to play a game. We want you to create songs. And so what we've done in our piano product to allow you to be creative is we've captured the essence of piano playing by allowing you to control time. Time, fundamental music. <coughs> All right, here we go. I'm going to play Over the Rainbow. It's pretty good. You're not bad. <laughs> now, I chose that song because it's one of my favorites. I also wrote the arrangement to that song. So we released Magic Piano back in the early days when there were only 10 of us at the company. And one of the functions I performed was arranging and authoring a lot of the musical content that we were putting into our products. Of course, the other reason I have to say I put that song in the, I wanted to play that song for you today. My 10-year-old daughter got the lead in The Wizard of Oz at her elementary school down in Menlo Park. And she will be singing over the rainbow in front of a few hundred people uh, tomorrow night. So I'm very excited about awesome. this song. Thanks. So that's Smule in a nutshell. Maybe we can come back to a couple of demos. I'd love to show you later on our Sing Karaoke product. It's fantastic. Um, you don't have to get drunk and go to a karaoke parlor anymore to experience karaoke. You just need an iPhone or an iPad and the Smule Sing Karaoke product. This product has 30 million users across the world. It's also extremely popular. One of the top uh, downloaded products in all of the mobile ecosystem. But what's amazing about the Sing product, and I'll save the demo for a little bit later, is we can help you out if you need a little help. You can pick a song, we'll put in a premium background track, and if you can't quite hit all of the notes, you turn on our special pitch correction, our auto-tune correction, our reverb, or other audio effects, so that it's as if you're in the recording studio alongside Jay-Z or Beyonce or Rihanna. You have everything that they have all in the palm of your hand. So everybody needs a little help. We know that. But then if you're too bashful to sing alone, you can go out across our network and find somebody else with whom to sing. In fact, maybe it would be fun if I launched the Sing product to just show you somebody who's recently sung a song. So here I'm looking at the Hot Performances page. Let's bring up their profile. So what you're listening to here, in theory, uh, pending a little love from the network here, I can see it's busy spinning trying to get me uh, something downloaded. But literally what you're seeing here is a duet. A duet that took place between, gosh, what's that, Kingsville, Texas? And it appears to be Honolulu. Oh, 
Not bad. Now, if you listen closely, she was using a little special sauce. We were correcting her pitch, putting a little auto-tune and a little bit of delayed reverb so it sounded closer to the artist as they recorded the song in the studio. And that's something that, frankly, is available to you all powered by these ARM chips running on these iPhones or these iPads. And in fact, we can do to the pitch correction and the reverb correction in real time while you're singing. Even more, with the launch of the new iPhone 5S and the new iPads with the RM7 chips, 64-bit processors, we introduced a new audio convolution algorithm so that we could put you in different acoustic environments. And so if you have a 5S and you download Sing Karaoke, you want to sing in the shower, you tip the shower, tap the shower button, and in fact, we'll give you the audio effects of a shower. If you prefer the Taj Mahal, the Forest, or the Sydney Opera Hall, that's all possible too. So it's a pretty fun product, but maybe the, the thing that's most exciting about it, as you saw from this little demo, sorry, sorry my key, screen keeps going off, um, you can sing with other people. So if it's too daunting to sing on your own, and by the way, it is for most of us, don't sing along. Go find somebody else. Go join their song. Um, so I'm going to save this for a little bit later, but I am going to invite some, some magical person from the audience here to come up on stage with me and sing a song into this iPhone, and then we'll push it out across the Smule network and see if anybody wants to listen to it. Don't run and hide. Nope, it there he goes. He's running away. All right. Anyway, so that's a quick introduction, or a slightly less quick introduction, into Smule and our company and what we're about. But Chris, sorry for the long answer. Maybe we should open it up and see where you want to go with this conversation. Yeah. Well, one thing I want to talk about a little bit is, uh, is Magic Piano, because uh, Jeff and I know each other socially. That's how we, we met face-to-face, although I'd been using his products for quite some time. And so we've met each other's kids, and he has a very musical family, and I'm trying to have a musical family. <laughs> and um, part of that is that I, because I play the piano, I wanted my daughter to play the piano. This is one of the things you want to share with, with a child's life. And it was going okay, but one of the things I wanted to help develop is her ear and her sense of um, sort of the ge- uh, geography of the keyboard. And I was surprised, because I, I gave her Magic Piano, she liked playing around with it, but she was doing Fur Elise through that. And I think the best story about this is she'd been playing that on Magic Piano, and she, her scores were great, and her timing was really good. And then a couple of days later, I hear her sitting at the piano playing it. She didn't have the music for it. So I naturally said, so how did you do that? And she said, well, I, I learned it from Magic Piano. Now, Magic Piano is not an instruction application, but what it does is you saw those little dots coming down. So one thing, it, it's teaching you a couple of things. One is timing, because rhythm is part of it. But also, and Jeff didn't really talk about this too much, but it's the space relationship between the notes. It isn't exact. You can't measure it, but it did give her the, enough information so she knew what the rhythm of this was supposed to be and generally what the space relationship was between the notes so that she could sit down at the piano without knowing the, the song except through that without music and peck it out and be able to play at least the melody of it pretty well, you know, for, for not knowing anything. Now, granted, my daughter is the most perfect, wonderful, smartest child on earth. <laughs> However, thanks to this program, she was able to do that. So, one, long-winded compliment. Thank you very much. Thank you. Second is 
how much of that is intended in, in the kind of work that you do. Sure, they're fun to play with. It's fun to kind of share music with people, but is there sort of a mission behind some of this stuff as well to move them into real music? Yes. Yes, absolutely. You think about where music's gone over the past couple hundred years. Before we invented the recording cylinder, and this was Edison 120 years ago, what would you do if you wanted to experience music? Go to church, sing in a choir, sing the hymns? Convince your little sister to play the second part to Brahms' you know, second symphony? Take the train to Leipzig to go catch the concert? But in every instance, you were experiencing it. It was social, it was interactive. Then we invent the recordings, and it's great, it's fantastic, but I can experience the music without doing anything. I can just listen to it. And again, there's nothing wrong with that, except that there's more to music than just listening to it. There's participating, there's creating. And the fact is, we all have that creative, expressive side. It's in there somewhere. Maybe a little bit more inhibited in this country than, say, in countries in Asia. But it's there. And so at Smule, our mission is to bring music back to its roots as a creative, social, interactive medium and to allow people to create content and not just consume it, but also consume it. And then to experience what it's like to create music with other people. And one of the reasons we've built these mobile applications is because we want to get you interested again. We want to give you a little taste. And it's important that it, you're expressive in our products, that it's not some canned, proscribed experience. We want you to express something, even in the piano or in the ocarina or in our sing product. And so maybe you're becoming more interested in music and absolutely best case scenario, you go buy a real instrument or you go off and you perform with a group or you do something else. No, not everyone's gonna do that, but we would love that if that happened. We would love that if that happened. And, and if you think about it though, I mean, maybe one of the purest tests of intrinsically who we are as people is you take that little two-year-old child and what do they like to do? Well, most of them will start dancing at some point when they're two or three years old. And that's not just because they're watching the shows on Disney with all the dancers. It turns out it's, it's fun to dance. That's something that as people we like to do. Guess what? It's also fun to sing. It's part of who we are as people. And if singing is a little tough, well, we can help you. Or play the piano, play the guitar. But we're all creative. We're all expressive. And there's an opportunity to open up that side of who we are, I think, through these mobile applications. So... Absolutely, Chris. We're not trying to put the piano department out of business or the singing department out of business. In fact, we're trying to get more people invested in singing and playing. And even more than that, we're trying to allow the rest of us to discover authentic content. Um, can I just elaborate on that briefly? Please. Or? All right. So, how many people watch television? Yeah? Okay. How many people have watched content on YouTube? Yeah? All right. Okay, they're different for the most part, right? Um, I wouldn't say one's better than the other one. Maybe the quality of content is higher on the television than it is on YouTube. But the diversity of content on YouTube, to some extent, compensates for that. And maybe one of the things that's fun about YouTube is that it's fairly authentic. You can capture those raw moments of actual people. And I think we like that as a society. 
it's, it's, we don't live in a perfect world. There are blemishes, there are imperfections, and that's part of why we're people and why it's fun to be human. And so while YouTube didn't replace the television in terms of programming, it is competing with the television now in terms of engagement minutes. And I guess at Smule, we're not trying to replace Pandora or Spotify or iTunes or Universal Music, but we are trying to give you an alternative of user-generated content, of authentic people that are creating their own covers to songs or their own versions of songs or even new songs. And we would hope over time that this is also an interesting destination for you to go to consume music. So I'm not contradicting myself. I really do want people to create music. But in the process of creating music, we're opening up this new world of user-generated music. And if I might be a little bit more bold, we would be democratizing the creation, curation, and distribution of music, taking it from the hands of a few and pushing it out to the hands of millions, or the voices of millions. And, and so, yes, this is what we're trying to do. We're trying to bring music back to its roots. We're trying to democratize its creation and distribution. Okay. It's bold. I, I admit it's bold. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about the technology behind it, because uh, when Smule first came to mind, the first thing I heard about it was Ocarina, and not necessarily because I could play my device, because I understood that I could play a device various ways, but the whole notion that I would blow into it into the microphone and be able to play it pitched, and I think the YouTube video helped as well. What, first, where did that idea generate? What kind of uh, techniques and development went into creating something that would react the way that that did? Sure, so Smule started at Stanford's computer um, music department, CARMA, the Center for Computer Research and Music and Acoustics, I was a PhD student there. They just hired a new professor from Princeton who had completed his dissertation in computer science, and he'd built a new audio programming language called Chuck. Imagine an audio programming language that looks like Java, except it has your whole arsenal of audio filters and technologies, and it's strongly timed. You could manage time. I'd spent a year doing research with Ga Wang at Stanford with Chuck, and had become a convert that it's actually possible to make computers into expressive devices, not these cold, dark calculating machines, which I'd always assumed that that's all that they were. So we, we built these prototypes of Chuck on the MacBooks, the MacBook Pros, and we wondered, could we put Chuck on the iPhone also, and could we begin to do real-time audio processing on these iPhone devices where we would take input from the speaker run it through um, Chuck, analyze it, analyze the signal, do things with it, and then output the audio stream back out, I'm sorry, in through the microphone, back out through the speaker. And in essence, Ocarina was a test of Chuck running on the iPhone, and it was a test to see how much audio processing we could do and what types of audio processing we do without a perceived latency or a delay. In other words, how much time elapses between when you say something in the microphone and then we process something and then it comes back out through the speaker. And incredibly, the latency, even on the first iPhone, was sub 50 milliseconds round trip for doing things like pitch correction. And so we, we felt we could begin to build musical applications on this device. And the first application we built that was musical was Ocarina. Um, and as mentioned, Chris, 
The only way Ocarina works is if we're literally analyzing the signal that's coming in against the microphone and detecting wind against the microphone. So there's some fairly clever algorithms that are taking place there. Um, truth, truth be told, I didn't write them, but I appreciate them. A lot of that came from our co-founder who spent seven years of his life doing signal processing analysis and built this audio programming language. And his advisor, Dr. Perry Cook, who ran the sound lab at Princeton for 12 years. And then some other people on our team, like Spencer Salazar, who, were, who had really strong audio chops to not only solve these types of problems, but to make it work on the CPUs and within the latency constraints we had on these mobile devices. And so that's what we did on Ocarina. And I have to say, it worked extremely well. It worked extremely well. Now, if I understand your story, you had done a couple of companies. You've done well with them. Uh, you had been playing piano since a child decided to devote more time to music. You got into the PhD program at Stanford, and really that was your intent, right? I'm just going to get my PhD. I'm kind of done with business for a while. And now you're running another company. So what happened? I don't know what happened. <laughs> I honestly, and it, it wasn't the plan. It, it just happened. But yeah, I studied computer science at Stanford 24 years ago, got a degree Worked as an engineer at IBM and Hewlett Packard. Loved it. Eventually started some businesses that I managed that, that were successful. And by 2005, I wanted to go back to school to study music full time. I wanted to spend more time with my kids. And I applied to Stanford's PhD program and I wasn't qualified. And so I audited classes for two years uh, full time. Took full load. And then reapplied with stronger credentials and the grades I'd had in the audited classes and then they, they did let me in. And so then I was in the PhD program at Stanford studying music and then after I passed my qualifying exams, I launched Smule. I still look back and I, I can't give you a great answer as to why, why I did that. Um, I honestly didn't need another company. I needed another company like I needed a hole in my head. And I was pretty happy working on the dissertation and performing piano and, and, and writing music, um, having a fantastic time doing those things. But maybe part of the problem is I met the professor that just hired Go Wong, who'd built this audio programming language. And having programmed in it and played with it for a year, I began to see the potential. I began to see the potential of what was possible to maybe launch this mission combining two things that I was good at, music and building businesses, and combine them in, into one thing, and maybe in the process have an impact on what was going on across this world as it relates to music. So, but it wasn't the plan. And I have to say, yeah, the co-founder, Go Wong, it wasn't his plan either. He'd just been hired to be a tenure-track professor at Stanford. He needed to start up like a hole, in, a hole in his head also. And so now we both have holes in our heads, and, and here we are. Uh, running the company while I was completing my PhD, running the company while he's trying to get tenure at Stanford. But I guess we're, in the end, I think we're just passionate about the opportunity to bring this technology, to bring these experiences to millions of people. And there's no better way to do that than on a commercial platform and leveraging all of the technology that Apple's provided. So here we are. So, with the founding of Smule, what have been sort of the milestone achievements of the company over time? 
mean, Ocarina was sort of the big, oh, look at those guys moment. Yeah. Well, certainly you could look at our milestone in terms of major products that we've shipped, and they've been successful. In fact, if you look at our applications today, we're a top 10 publisher, so we have as many downloads as a Facebook or a Twitter might. Um, if we were a music label and you looked at our applications in that light, we would have six diamonds and six platinums. And so we have been successful rolling out these products such as Leaf Trombone, Ocarina, IMT Pain. Anybody heard of IMT Pain? It's a pretty popular product on the iPhone. Yeah, that's, that's my baby. Um, uh, Magic Guitar, Sing Karaoke. And so every year we've come up with another big product that's withstood the test of time and, and continues to be a popular product. So those milestones certainly come to mind. Maybe another milestone might be more community-related. So if you go back in time five years ago, we had probably 100,000 users a month using our products. If you went back 18 months of time, that number went to about 6, six million people a month using our products. And if you fast forward to today, we're closer to 20 million people a month using our products. Um, if you look at it in terms of overall downloads, we have over 165 million people that have installed our products on our devices. And so we're up to, call it, 35 to 4% of the world's population thus far. So, but may, maybe the milestone that I'm most excited about, though, is what's happening across our network and how more and more people are creating content together. Um, and so on a typical day, today, using Spiel products, our users will create around 3.5 million to 4 million new songs. And if you look at the number of songs they're then sharing across our network, in aggregate, that represents around 600 gigabytes of information that's being uploaded to our network and then stored on our network. And so we are storing a terabyte of songs people are singing into their iPhones or playing on their iPhones. We're storing a terabyte of that content on our network every two days. And to me, that's the milestone I'm maybe most proud of because it, it's now maybe we've crossed this threshold where it's not just something that I'm doing for fun on my device. Maybe it's now something that I want to do with other people because otherwise there'd be no point in me sharing it across our network and pushing it up into the cloud. So with all that content on your network, if I wanted to go and hear some music by somebody else, do you have like a top 10 list? And if so, decided by who? Or do I just kind of go in there and say, play anything, and then sometimes I get something that's great, and other times it's like, mm, yeah, they're still working at it. Yeah, so we have a popular chart. And in fact, you can see it off of our website as well. Go to smule.com. And it's an algorithmic-based approach where we're taking signals from our community. Signals being how many times did somebody listen to this song or how many times did somebody say they liked this song that somebody else sang. And then we'll aggregate that information and then give you, call it a top 100 list of the performances across our network that have been recently created. And that refreshes literally every couple of hours. So it's not a billboard chart you launch once a week. It's more of a dynamic chart almost akin to what Apple's doing on their iTunes store for most popular songs or most popular applications. And you'll get some of the top performers. You can also search and you go out and, go off and find people across our network. That's fun too. But I have to say there's a, there's a lot of opportunities for us to enhance that to make it a little bit easier for you to discover 
the type of talent or the type of song you want to sing or even the region you want to sing because keep in mind one of the things that's really fun about this user-generated content on our network is it's geotagged. So we know where the user was that created the song. And so part of what's fun is to say, I want to hear the top performances in Indonesia this morning of the country genre or maybe of some local genre of folk music in Indonesia. And so there's fantastic filters you could think about of allowing you to search and find content where we've just begun to open up that process to our community. But I could say it's an area of active interest for us because it's to the point now where the content's interesting. And it's something that you might want to listen to in place of Pandora because it's authentic, because it's real, and because you could do things like search, which you can't do on Pandora, or you could skip four times, which you, again, you can't do on Pandora. And again, I love Pandora. I use Pandora. But this is kind of a different animal, and it does have some advantages of how you might want to approach listening and streaming content. And what about the, uh, when, when you make the decisions for the next product, I mean, I've, I've heard you play, you're a classical pianist, and yet, uh, you know, the, you're doing like karaoke apps and you're doing rap apps, and, uh, you know, maybe there's a, there's a side of you that I have not yet seen, <laughs> a kind of a gangster side of Jeff Smith, but it seems to me that that isn't really kind of your world. So when deciding, you know, where do we want to go with this, do you kind of say, well, what's, what's trending now in music? And that's where we want to be because that's where our audience is? Or are you trying to lead your audience by making it more participatory in some fashion you think is popular? It's a great question. And by the way, for those that don't know, Chris is a pretty gifted pianist. He has amazing ears. You could put, you could put any score in front of him. Off he goes. Sing him a song. Off he goes. Um, ask him for a new arrangement. Off he goes. So um, it's, fun to, it's fun to play music with Chris. My skill set's a little different, so I appreciate the compliment. But uh, it's much more of a classical school uh, where I have a score and I'll work at it and work at it and work at it and memorize it and then try to perfect it that way. So maybe we're not in the same league talent-wise, but... Uh, it's just different. Okay. All right. We'll, 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 we'll say it's different. But I am, I am a good pianist. I am. But... To the question, are we trying to lead our community to some place or are we trying to follow them? I think we're trying to encourage them to be creative. And then I think we're following their lead. I don't think we have some purely altruistic mission. We love music. We want people to experience music. So in that sense, sure, I'll concede that. But... I think what we like most about our network is seeing where our users want to go. I'll give you an example. When we first launched our Scene Karaoke product, um, we had this basic feature that allowed you to sing with another person, but it was pretty rough. And what our community did, really without our help, is they figured out how to use this rough feature to actually create group performances. And then they began organizing these families of people that would come together and sing songs together as families. Um, we had no idea that this was going to happen across our product, but once it did, we are extremely excited about it. And of course, then we began building features to make it easier for these people to sing together. In fact, one such group is based in Indonesia, and they call themselves the Smulnesians. And to this point now where there's a hundred of them, and they host tryouts to see who's qualified to come join their group, they have meetups 
every couple of weeks. And last month, they celebrated their one-year anniversary. They rented a bus. They went to the other side of an island, and they, I guess they sang their hearts out for a couple of days. They even had a cake that said Smilnesian one-year anniversary. So we didn't expect any of this to happen. We had no idea that these groups were going to form and begin creating content together. But then once they did, we followed their lead, and we said, okay, great. We want to enable it, these groups. We want to make it easier to collaborate with groups. We want to make the audio tuning and the sound quality tuning that we're doing for groups to be better. <clears throat> and so we began rolling a lot of that feature function. So maybe we get some credit in opening it up and allowing our community to be creative, but really the community gets a lot of credit for showing us what they can do and re rewarding our confidence in them. Okay. Now, as a developer, just outside, you know, from a purely business perspective and how you design your products, I know you have products that have in-app purchases on them. Yeah. Um, where do you sort of sit on the whole in-app purchase thing? How valuable should the app be alone without engaging in in-app purchase? And then at what point is it appropriate, both for you and the consumer, to cross that line and then start purchasing uh, additional content? Right. So we do sell subscriptions and we advertise. This is our business model. So if a user wants to access any song in our product and if they want unlimited storage of how many songs they're going to store on our network and if they want access to all of our audio effects like autotune, algorithms like autotune, they can buy a subscription and it's an all access pass. And they buy that subscription through Apple um, through in-app purchase. And they use the same credit card on the iTunes store that they'd use to buy a song or to buy another application. Um, and at this point, we have almost 250,000 subscribers to products like Sing and Magic Piano and our auto-wrap product. And so it is valuable to a subset of our community. Um, and truth be told, last year the business did about 21 million in sales. That's up from 12 million the year before. And if we have a good year this year, we'll come in above 36 million in sales. That's what our operating plan is. So the business is growing at a fairly rapid clip as a, you know, a subset of our community is coming in and, and buying these subscriptions or looking at advertisements. But we don't demand that you buy a subscription to have a full experience within our products. If you want to use our products um, and you want to sing songs with other people and you don't want to pay money, um, you can join somebody else's song. If you don't want to create your own song, you can go off on our network, find somebody else that's created a song, and you can, you can join somebody else's song without becoming a subscriber. There's a bunch of songs we offer for free to allow people to experience what it's like. And if you want more songs, you can watch advertisements and trade that for access to more of the songs. And so there's a little bit of friction associated with the process, but not a ton of friction. And, and what this allows us to do is to have a pretty good user experience for everyone including the people that aren't becoming a subscription to the product, subscribers to the product. That's important to us because while we're a business and we certainly want to grow our business, we feel like the best way for us to grow our business is for us to grow our community and to allow that community to continue to scale and develop, and, and again, in ways that we don't anticipate. And then there will be a portion of that community that comes in and wants to do a lot more with our products. Great. They could sign up and become subscribers, but that's not something that you would have to do on our products. Right. Um, 
I have more to say, but uh, if any of you have questions, we do have a microphone here, so if anybody has a question and would like to step up, you're welcome to. Otherwise, I'm going to just keep going. Uh, uh, yes, he's just, yes. All right. How do you monetize all this community involvement? Yeah, so we don't try to monetize the involvement. We try to encourage the involvement. We try to encourage the engagement. Uh, we don't want to put up paywalls so that if you're doing a lot of work on our community, you have to pay more. Um, however, there, there would be a subset of our users that want an all-access pass to all of our content, all of our storage, all of our audio effects, and those people can become subscribers. And a typical subscription would be $8 a month that would give you access to all of the content in our products. And in fact, one of the things we're rolling out this next month is we're opening up the subscription so that it's Pan Smule. It's not a single application. It's access to all of our content across all of our applications. So if you became a subscriber in our Sing product, you would also, by default, become a subscriber in our Piano product so you could have access to the thousand songs that are in the Piano product as well. So we're not necessarily trying to uh, impair engagement through, of our community through monetization, but we do want to open it up and make it easier for people to become subscribers if, if they want unfettered access to all of our content. Other questions? Right away. I had a chance via the uh, Coursera course that was given by Go Wang and uh, CalArts to play around with Chuck. <laughs> uh, do you have any plans to open up your professional products so that programmers could expand them? Because that would add another layer of creativity, if you will. Sure. So uh, our co-founder built this audio programming language, and, and now a lot more people are learning about this audio programming language. Gup, Perry, and Spencer just wrote a book that was published that to talk about how to learn how to program an audio uh, with Chuck. And so the question is, are we thinking of opening up our products to allow other people to participate and maybe plug into that? Yes. Yes, the short answer is yes. It's going to start first with our network, where we'll allow you to plug in and access the content across our network. And in fact, we hit a big milestone with respect to that objective last month where we began publishing how you could take our web widgets and then embed them in different blogs and use them in different blogs and showed you then how you could access the corpus of content coming in off our network. And our goal is that people could do all kinds of work with that content, um, which we would encourage. Uh, another anecdote as it relates to kind of open versus closed architecture, and, and again, we're very much open architecture because we're building a community. and We care, we care a lot about building and cultivating that community. But... For my own research at Stanford, for my PhD, um, I did the research on Smule's performance data. Uh, I looked at several hundred million songs in Magic Piano, and I compared and contrasted how different cultures across the world would perform those songs. And the hope was is that there would be cultural differences, say, between Mexico and Hungary and China. Um, and in fact, there are. There are fairly profound cultural differences of how people interpret music um, across the same genre or even across different genres. And that research is published over at Stanford. And so if you want to access that data, um, there's a new website we're actually turning on in two weeks called DAMP. And DAMP stands for the Digital Archive of Mobile Performances. And we'll start by putting in an archive of magic piano performances and allow academic researchers to have literally the same source code I was using to access the, the content and then the, the actual content itself. And, and again, we're doing this because our goal is to get a billion people creating music together. 
And that's only going to happen if we have a lot of help from a lot of academic researchers, even from other commercial organizations. And so it, it, it's a different blueprint for how you're going to grow and scale a company. And it, and it has implications for what the assets we value are. And we certainly do value our intellectual property. We do. And in fact, we filed a lot of patents to protect that. But what we value more, though, is this open architecture that allows our community to go off and develop content and develop new techniques of how they might create music together or distribute music. All right, we have just a couple of minutes, and uh, I, we're going to throw this one out because we were in a conference together, and you were talking a little bit about marketing, and I wish you could do your entire 20-minute right. talk on that. But you came up from a small company. Other developers who are just starting out wonder, how do I get the press attention? How do I get my name out into the world? And, and I think you've, you have an interesting approach to that. Yeah, we do. We have a pretty small marketing department and PR department, um, although we do some of that work. Really, we try, we try to market our company through our products and through our community. And this is something that we study. In fact, if you look at our process of how we go about developing a new product, that green light process before you actually put funding behind it, resources behind it, one of the first tests, first tests we'll do is, is a 30-second teaser test. We'll want to understand what a 30-second video of a demonstration of that product would be before we build the product. And if we could have something that's compelling in that 30 seconds, then we think we have a fighting chance of building a product that's compelling. But if we can't distill the essence of that product down into a 30-second demo with a video, then forget about it. It's just not meant to be. And one of the reasons why that's important is because when we eventually do launch our product, we launch that video alongside of it. And it's one of the most important assets we'll use to show people how to use and, and engage with our product. But it also is kind of a, a filter in the development process to keep it really simple, to only put in the necessary function that's going to align with what that script is, what that demo is. But then finally, it gives our users an incentive and a, a pretty clear path to also demonstrating that same product and showing other people how to use the product. And it turns out in this mobile world, it's very different than the world of the virtual world with websites and Facebook and the rest. Because the way mobile spreads is, is typically not through an email message or through um, uh, a Facebook conversation. It's word of mouth. It's you taking your phone out of your pocket and showing your friend at school what you're doing on your phone and why you like doing it. Or a colleague or maybe somebody at you know, a restaurant. Word of mouth has always been the most important marketing engine for any product. And it turns out in mobile, that's even more true. And so if you're building products where you're thinking about how to get to that demo, and if you can get to that demo in 30 seconds, and it's a compelling demo, then what you'll find is that you have a higher K factor. You'll have a higher ratio of people that are recommending your product and sharing your product with other people, which then translates into more awareness um, and a, a healthier ecosystem all the way around, even if you wanted to go off and begin acquiring users through advertisements. And so that's a principle that we've lived by, and it's one of the reasons why we've thrown out many products that have gone into a prototype phase that just didn't make the cut, and we will. Um, we're happy uh, to put, pull the pillow out and put it over the baby and hold. 
until you know the breathing ends. I realize it's a pretty tough analogy, but as a product person, that is exactly how you feel when you end of life a product, particularly a product that's not done and has potential. But if we can't get to that 30-second teaser test, if we can't see that 30-second demo, that product just doesn't make sense, and, and we'll drop it. And so if you go back to the first product I demonstrated here, the Ocarina, that's a pretty good demo, right? Pull out your phone, blow into it, sounds like a flute. It's not something you would have seen every day. And, and then we created the YouTube teaser to share that experience where we all played the opening to Led Zeppelin's Stairway to Heaven. And it was fantastic. You know, it's a Jean-Paul Jones arrangement where it's four people on recorders and then a guitar, right? Well, instead of using the four recorders, we used four iPhones. And we were playing the ocarina. And I can tell you with confidence that Steve Jobs saw that video and liked it. <laughs> but it comes back to, can you build the marketing into your value proposition, into your product? Can you build the demo as a use case? And if so, that becomes a great vehicle for you demonstrating and promoting your product. So that's one of the things that we've done at Smuel that's been effective for us. And with that, we're out of time. I'd like to thank Jeff Smith very much. I always enjoy talking to him both uh, off mic and on. So thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Chris.